Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Howdy. Howdy. All right, we're going to read uh, Ephesians 15 to 20, not to 23, just to 20. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of this glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand <clears throat> in the heavenly places? Uh, would you all bow your head, please? <clears throat> uh, dear Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us all to be here tonight and uh, worship your name. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray that we can open up our hearts to your word and uh, get to know more about you, Lord. And uh, <clears throat> in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, howdy, uh, and uh, welcome to RUF. Really, my name is Austin McCann. I'm the RUF campus minister here. And if this is your first time, like walking through the doors of All Faith Chapel to RUF, really welcome. Like we're really glad you're here. We want RUF to be a place for the convinced, whether you've been in Christian your entire life, and the unconvinced. Like if you did not grow up in the church and you're really skeptical of Christianity and you don't believe who who Jesus claims to be. We're really glad you're here. We really say, we, we say this in RUF all the time, that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace, while at the same time, you're never so bad that you stand outside the reach of His grace. And we hope that we embody that. We believe that to be true because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. And so if you're, if you're with us and you're here and you're new, uh, and if you weren't with us last week, what we do is, here at RUF, we believe that the Bible is the very Word of God. And it's actually his revealing of himself to us through his word. And so what we do every semester is we just take a book of the Bible and we march through it and allow God to speak to us through his word. And uh, in this semester, we're walking through the book of Ephesians. It's been just read for us tonight. And we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 15 through 20. That's my fault for going over to 23. So it's Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. Um, and so, if, you, if you're with us, if you weren't here last week, just kind of a quick context reminder of the book of Ephesians, okay? So, it was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this letter to Christians in Ephesus while he was in prison in Rome waiting to die. And we'll see the significance of, of Paul's setting and him writing this to, to the Ephesian Christians later on. And this will come up a lot. Um, but just to kind of give you some context, that, that's what Paul's doing right now. He's in Rome. He's in a prison, and he's writing to these Ephesian Christians. And last week, he opened with wanting the Christians in Ephesus to think about God's unconditional predestining love for them in Christ. That they are adopted, that they're redeemed, and that they're sealed. Which underscores the very heart of this letter, which we're going to talk about all throughout our series, all throughout our series in Ephesians. Is that God is reconciling all things to himself. He reconciles us to him through his son, Jesus. He's reconciling us to one another. And he's reconciling one day all things in the world, and he'll make all things new. 
And so after a very dense passage from last week, Paul actually follows with a prayer. So it's kind of, we, it's a very dense passage. It was it's very thick, a lot of theology. And then Paul comes up to breathe, and he prays for these Ephesian Christians because he wants something to happen to them. So as we kick off tonight, I want, I want you to consider um, a little movie that came out a while ago uh, called Bird Box. Uh, it was released off of Netflix. It had Sandra Bullock and John Malkovich. Uh, some of you may have seen it. It's a scary thriller kind of movie. But the premise of the movie was that there was this monster out there, and it was invisible. And when you looked at it, or when you laid your eyes on it, it actually caused people to do horrific and terrible things. Actually ended up, it ends up, they ended up taking their own lives. But the reason that this movie was so popular was what actually, what the core idea was, was that what if, it made you ask this question, that what if you had to go through life with your eyes closed? And the movie starts off with this really scary kind of disaster scene that is, like, shocking. But the rest of the movie actually is just about the, what you watch is that people are just doing normal things but without, without being able to see anything. And so it makes you ask the question, like, what would it be like to drive to the grocery store with your eyes closed? Or to boat down a river blind? And it's a brilliant idea at the center of this movie, movie and it's actually really discomforting. And this idea, in some ways, actually relates to the Christian life. Because even after we come to faith in Jesus, it's actually a process for us to learn not to live with our spiritual eyes closed. It's actually possible to be a believer in Jesus, to be saved in Christ, but to still live much of your life with your eyes, the eyes of your hearts actually closed. And remember, Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus. And he's writing this letter and is focusing on the point that growth is actually seeing clearly the things that already belong to you because of Jesus. So we're going to consider two points tonight, okay? The eyes of our hearts and the treasures of the gospel. Okay, so two points. The eyes of our hearts and the treasures of the gospel. So first, Paul begins by praying that, he says, I want you Ephesian Christians... Okay, to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened in verse 18. Right, the Bible talks about the heart all the time. Right, you could flip to almost every other page of the Bible and find it's somewhere talking about the heart in some way. It's because God is obsessed in talking about our hearts. But the phrase, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, right, like, that's a phrase that just sounds, like, we're just to be honest, like, very nice and, and Christian-y. Like, I think it can make for a really corny Instagram, like, caption. Like, with a sunset, holding your Bible in the background, drinking your white chocolate mocha. Like, having the hearts of my, my eyes enlightened today. Like, it could just be this weird caption, okay? And it really sounds nice, but, but do we actually understand what Paul is saying? Like, what is God saying that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened? And to understand what this means, we have to understand what God means when he talks about the heart in the Bible. Like, what is God's definition of the heart? Like, to un- like and one of the common misconceptions that we make is actually by adopting the way that the culture and the world uses the word heart or defines it. Is that primarily we think that it's referring to just emotions. Right? So, so when the Bible start, starts talking about the heart being enlivened, sometimes the temptation for us is to think, well, okay, t- to be a good Christian... 
It's like, I gotta, I gotta have, I gotta be up at the front row, there's gotta be fog machines, and as soon as the worship like song comes up, I got my hands in the air, I'm dancing, and it's this emotionally extroverted, ecstatic Christian knees. Which is bad news for all you RUFers probably, because all you get is like a nod and a chuckle every now and again. Right? But the, the temptation is to think that if the heart is, a, is only about emotions, then I need to be spiritually charged in some way, or some kind of church extrovert, when it comes to being a Christian. And hear me say this, okay? Emotions are very good. Very, very good. Okay? Because God designed us with emotions. And I don't think raise your hands when you worship is bad at all. I think it's a good thing, right? Our posture does matter at times. But there's not a one-size-fits-all emotional caricature that a Christian is supposed to try and fit into. That, truthfully, what you need to know is that God wants to build His church with all different types of people on the emotional spectrum. And so the heart is certainly nothing less than emotions. Hear me say that. But it is far too narrow a view, and it's lopsided if we believe that the heart is only limited to our feelings. Right, with a biblical and more nuanced view of the heart, Jamie Pierre, a wonderful counselor and theologian, defines it this way. He says, The simplicity and complexity of the human heart is overlapping and three-dimensional. The human heart responds cognitively with knowledge and beliefs, effectively through a framework of desires and emotions, and volitionally, through our wills and choices. And it's through these three aspects of the heart's response that are all a part of how God designed us to worship Him. Or I heard another, if you didn't like the theologian's uh, definition, I heard a pastor put it this way. That your heart is the most you thing about you. And it's actually your core identity. It's your core person. It actually sits below and determines your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it actually goes and how they go out into the world. And the Bible doesn't waste any time arguing whether or not you have a heart. It doesn't waste any time whether or not your heart matters. Because one of the foundational presuppositions and the ideas of the whole Bible is that your heart is the most crucial and most determinative thing about you. And so one of God's primary purposes is capturing, reorienting, and reconciling your heart. That's why the Bible talks about it so much. Jesus himself, in one of the most incisive things that he says about the heart in Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 45, he says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. See, what flows up out of your heart, what flows up from the treasure that is in the deepest vault of your person, determines the way that you interact with this world and with the people around you. And so when this passage talks about having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, what it is saying is that God is saying, I want you to actually taste something at your core. Not just information download. Like, I want you to know something and to treasure something in the deepest places of your heart. Y'all, I, I love Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits. Like, I wish they sold them at night. We would have them in our large group if Chick-fil-A sold The moment that Chick-fil-A sells chicken biscuits at night, that we're going to have in a large group. Okay? Or we may just have a large group at Chick-fil-A. I don't know. Um, like, if you, sit, if you ask me to go to breakfast and buy me a Chick-fil-A biscuit, you're an automatic friend. Okay? Um, and look... I, but there's a difference, right, 
between knowing a lot about a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit than actually tasting it. Right? I could be driving down Texas Avenue and look at Chick-fil-A and be like, man, gosh, I can, I can think about the chicken biscuit. I, I know a lot about it. I can even hold it in my hand and look at it. But until I actually bite into it and taste it, it's not until I actually experience a full chicken biscuit. <laughs> Insert any favorite food that you want to. Okay? Like, that is what Paul means. That when he says, that I want you to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, to taste something that is so true down to the deepest core of your person. This is what he is praying for. So this is the foundational idea of this passage. Is that we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened. And Paul is saying that this is... This is my deepest longing for these Christian Ephesians. Is that this is the definition of Christian growth for the, actually the rest of your life. That the Christian life is not about earning. Christ has already earned it for you. The Christian life is actually about yearning. And to know and, and, and taste what Christ has already accomplished for you on your behalf. That is what this passage is talking about. Well, if this passage wants the eyes of our hearts actually enlightened, then the question is, well, enlightened to see what? Or to know or to taste what? Well, this goes to our second point. Okay, the treasures of the gospel. In verses 18 through 20. Um, years ago, there's a story of a young man. Um, and like this was before like kids like had iPads when they were two years old. Um, and he ended up going to college. This is back in around the time where laptops were becoming a thing. And he went to college, and his dad got him a laptop. And so as like a typical freshman in the college, you don't really know what to do. So you spend a lot of time researching, nerding out. I don't know, spending a lot of time in your dorm room. We're uh, coming to RUF. We hope you do that. Uh, but he was kind of like researching, nerding out, and some stuff. And he came across this article and saw something uh, called Bitcoin. And he was like, this is weird. And he kind of did some research about it. And he ended up spending like 100 bucks and bought Bitcoin. And his family was like, that's a stupid and terrible idea. And it probably was at the time. But, um, but he ends up buying Bitcoin and he forgets about it. He ends up like going out and not just sitting in his dorm room all the time. And he forgets about Bitcoin. And later he ends up actually graduating from college uh, and six years later, he's in his new kind of low entry-level job, and he's making a very low base, basic salary. Um, and then he sees Bitcoin starting to show up in the news. And so he calls his dad, and he says, Hey, Dad, I think my college lap laptop is back at home. Would you get it for me? I'm going to come back this weekend and get it. And he's like, Yeah, sure. And so he gets back home, and he's like, Hey, Dad, is my laptop here? And he says, Yeah, I put it on the table. And you can imagine, like, he walks in, like, sees his laptop, and, like, this glowing beam of light, like, oh, like, and he walks up to his laptop, and he opens his laptop, he boots the computer back up, he logs in, and he finds in his wallet, on his computer, that he has over 1,100 Bitcoins on it, which actually came out to over $4, $4 million. And so instantly, <laughs> he went from being an entry-level dirt poor, just out of college student, to a multimillionaire. And like this passage is saying, in some ways, this is what the Christian life is like. That to grow as a follower of Jesus is not to receive something that you don't already have, 
but it's actually to discover the treasure that is already in your garage. To bring it and actually begin to bank on it. That's the beauty of being a Christian. And specifically, this passage describes the treasure with three terms. Hope, inheritance, and power. And so Paul is praying, these are the three things that I want the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened to. is hope, inheritance, and power. And he says this in verses 18 through 19, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And I want to suggest tonight that these three descriptions show how Jesus has done everything necessary to address our heart's deepest needs. Because first, in hope, in verse 18, God wants us to see the hope that He's called us to, the ultimate hope that we are unstoppably destined for. Right, you have to know a little bit about the rest of the book of Ephesians, which we're going to get to next week, in order to stand under, fully understand this hope. But Ephesians 2, 7 sums it up pretty well. And it says this, that in the coming ages that He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That the final and certain hope of every Christian, what is true of you tonight, is that beyond death there is infinite life. And it's coming. And we will enjoy eternity with God pouring out the riches of His love and His kindness onto us forever. That's true. There's a great quote that I heard that hope is faith standing on its tiptoes. Right? All of these promises that we hear of the whispers in the Bible that we start to kind of stand up and crane our necks to see, is this actually true? And we look out for the hope in those promises that He is going to bring us home. He is going to reconcile us to all things. And like the chances are tonight, if you're, if you're an Aggie, which I assume all of you are, or, or Blinston, like whether you admit it, admit it or not, like all of us in here are, are competent fixers. You just are. <laughs> now, there's probably different levels of degree. We all struggle with that in different ways. But like all of you are highly educated. You're problem solvers. Like we're, we're, we're experts. We, whether we like to admit it or not, we are experts at anchoring our hope in this life and in our ability to solve problems and to establish a pretty good life here and now. And that's why sometimes, you need to hear this, and you're probably tasting and experiencing this in college right now, especially for your freshmen, is that sometimes it actually is a blessing when God gives us a problem that we just cannot fix. Because suffering in the Bible, God says again and again and again, it is not easy. And it's painful. And our sin causes it. But God promises that He can use it as a good thing in our lives. And some of the reason like, why we get so anxious about who we're supposed to marry and what I'm supposed to do with my life, what job am I going to get when I finish all this, and like, I don't know, like trying to land that perfect GPA. Like a lot of that arises from forgetting where God's actually taking us and where we're going. Hoping in a life to come. And secondly, Paul tells that he prays for an inheritance. 
That God wants us to know in the depths of our hearts the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. All right, this is really important, okay? This is really important to notice. It doesn't say the riches of our glorious inheritance, but the riches of his glorious inheritance. Think about that. Like sometimes the Bible talks about our inheritance, that's true. And all the riches and blessings that we will get because of Jesus. But this is talking about something different in this passage. This verse is saying, you Christians are actually God's glorious inheritance. He considers you His precious possession. You are His value. You are His inheritance because of His Son, Jesus. And that is an incredible statement. Like, there's no doubt... um, I'm going to pick on the guys here. Like, guys, um, if you brought me into your dorm room and you, like, showed me, like, one of your favorite posters on your wall right now. Uh, And you looked at me and you're like, Austin, like, I don't know, that is art. That's art, and it's worth over, like, $3 million. Uh, I'd be really skeptical of you, because you probably got, like, a frame from Walmart, you know. uh, And it's probably, like, dogs playing poker or something like that. Uh, Like, but if you and I were then invited by, like, a trustworthy art collector, Let's say Picasso. If Picasso had an art collection, he was here in Ohio. And we went over to his house, and he had all of his, his, his art paintings just hanging on the wall and showing, showing them to us. And he looked at them and said, that's a beautiful piece, and I guarantee you that's worth over $3 million. We probably would believe him. And what, it, what the point of that is, is, is if the most glorious person The God of the Bible, the God of this universe, who created all things, who redeemed all things, who knows you better than you know yourself, if He calls you His glorious inheritance, that is a wonderful statement. (laughs) Because the premise of this statement is that God knows you better than you know yourself, and He claims you as as His inheritance, His treasure, His delight, His value. That no matter how committed that you feel like you are to God tonight, He is overwhelmingly more committed to you than you are to Him. No matter how loud you think you sing to God, He sings louder over you, Zephaniah tells us. That if you are in Christ, that is true. That you are His and you are His precious and valuable possession. So one of the greatest gifts of the gospel is that there is someone other than me or the people around me who has the final say about who I am. Let me say that again. One of the greatest gifts of the gospel is that there's someone other than me or the people around me who has the final say about who I am. And his final word on me is that if I'm in Christ, he says, you're my treasure and you're my delight forever. And lastly, in verse 19, Paul writes about God's power. So how do all these things connect? You see, we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards those who believe. You see, God's power is working on your behalf. And the point here is that if Almighty God has claimed you as His treasured inheritance, and if He's called you to eternal hope, then He will exert His power to do everything necessary to bring you from here to there. And it's going to happen. 
What God starts, He always finishes. Jesus says to us in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And to conclude, you're probably thinking, like, okay, like all this sounds great, but like, like what practically, like how does this practically look in, in my life? Like how do I practically enlighten the eyes of my heart? Well, this passage says that the way that the eyes of your heart are enlightened, are enlightened to more clearly see the treasures of the gospel is especially, I mean specifically, talking to your Father and looking at Jesus. Talking to your Father and looking at Jesus. Did you notice the whole passage that we just read? It's a prayer. Paul is crying out. He's praying in a Roman, in a Roman cell. And the Bible is, is the one book where the author actually wants you to plagiarize. God wants you to plagiarize his book. He wants you to repeat what he's already written. Because it actually does something to our hearts. Talking to him does something. And that's what Paul is doing. He's talking to his father. Some of the best prayers in the Bible are when they actually truly come from an honest heart. And one of the greatest examples we have in that is in the Psalms, in David. Like if David were to stand up tonight in RUF, like stop me from preaching, and started praying, like all of us would be, well, that would be uncomfortable in general, but like all of us would just be really uncomfortable from the things that he was actually saying and from his honesty. And we'd probably be like, I don't know if you like need to be in church or like need to be in RUF. Because his heart was honest and he's crying out to the Father. And he's crying out to him like, like, where are you? Like, what are you doing in my life? And I know that all of you have felt that. Those anxious feelings these first couple of weeks back. You're just like, ah, I've gotten back and like nothing's really changed. No one really knows me still. Like, Lord, like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? Help me. And that is a good place to be. Because you can't fix it. <laughs> but He promises to draw near. And He promises to actually enlighten the eyes of your heart to see Him more clearly of what's already true of you. See, God calls us to talk to Him honestly. We talk to our Father. And secondly, we look at Jesus in verse 20. You say, okay, how could God possibly claim me as His beloved inheritance? We look at Jesus on the cross. We look at the price that God paid to claim you. You say, well, how can I believe in the hope that outlasts suffering and death? We look at the resurrection of Jesus, which is not some nebulous fairy tale. But death doesn't have the final say, and we will be resurrected like Him. That is our hope. My hope that my papa, who has dementia, who's almost forgotten about me, I trust that I'll see him again and he'll know me. And I hope in that. Because of the resurrection. How could I know His power is at work for me? Because Jesus is on His throne reigning. And will one day He's going to return to reconcile all things. Paul says, if you are a Christian tonight, this is already true of you. And the growth as a Christian is actually banking in it. It's going into the garage and finding that inheritance and saying, this is true of me now. And He calls you to feast upon it. 
and to talk to Him and to sing to Him and to worship to Him and to cry out with, to Him for, with your sorrows and your suffering and the pain. And He promises to draw near. And He promises to enlighten the eyes of your heart. Talk to your Father. Look to Jesus this week so that the Lord would enlighten the eyes of your hearts as you rest in the treasures of the Gospel. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would please enlighten the eyes of our hearts to know the glorious eternal hope that you have called us to, knowing that one day we will be with you for eternity. And we stand on our tiptoes in anticipation of that day, craning our necks, looking for you, crying out to you, and trusting that we are your inheritance, and you paid for a price through your Son Jesus for us and that your power is made perfect through His life and His death and His resurrection. And what you have started, you will finish. So Father, would you humble us this week? Or would you give us humility? Would you help us to live out of the reality of the treasures of your gospel and enliven our hearts? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.